Think Again with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio. 855am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to the third program of Think Again, presented by Borderlands Cooperative, an organization that has been dedicated to social change for over 20 years. I'm Jacques Bourdieu, and I'm your host today, and I'm alone. Jennifer has a couple of days off in Tassie with uh, her sister, and I hope that she's listening. Hi, Jen. We will be unpacking the ways we think and talk about our world. We'll throw out some challenges and explore alternative ways of thinking and organizing ourselves as a society. Uh, in the first few programs, we have been floating and will still a few foundational ideas. Today, we talk about economics. What do we mean when we speak about the economy? What is it really? Why is it important? Is it important? Who is it for? Who benefits? Who wins and who loses? But before launching into today's topic, we want to thank everyone who donated during the 3CR Radiothon last week. Listeners to Think Again who donated include uh, Lars, Jenny Barnes, Marie Brennan, Mary Guabila, Guabala, no, sorry, Mary Lane, uh, MV Vescu, Chris Watson, and probably a couple of pledges are still there. And you can still continue to uh, help out, pledge and pay, because the Radiothon certainly continues to count its, uh, its, its benefits till the end of June. Uh, so we also have received some lovely and encouraging feedback to our program, uh, which we have really appreciated. Even one bit of feedback came from... Uh, il- uh, from uh, Tasmania. I listened to you guys live fr- last Friday and enjoyed it immensely. I felt part of the Borderlands family and I look forward to the uh, next episode. So lovely that to get that because we are still very much newbies and don't really know the swing of things. Uh, in the lead of the federal election, now back to our topic of economics, we have heard a lot about which party presumably can best manage the economy. In fact, it's a consistent theme during about every Australian election, whether that's federal or state, and even local governments now seem to join in the bragging. Somehow, we have been sold on the idea that whoever best manages the economy is also the best to govern our society for the benefit of all of us. That's an argument that each of the main parties seemingly have been fighting to win. This may be well and good, depending on what we actually mean by the economy. We all remember the Clinton expression in 1992, the economy stupid, when he was successfully campaigning against President Bush the Elder. But what is it really? We treat it as if it is some natural phenomenon that we don't have to really explain. It just is. That's probably also why news about the stock market comes just before the weather on television. And we have to really look after it. That seems to be the idea we get. So today we're going to talk a bit about the economy, about economics, what it, what, about what it may be, 
who is it for? Uh, who is it for and, and who is it going to help? Uh, and, wh and what do we mean with it doing well or badly? Is that well or badly for everyone? Or is it bad or, uh, bad or good for a selected few? Uh, is it just about us humans? Or do we also include in our calculations the non-human persons and the things which, after all, as we slowly start to understand, are those things which actually keep as humans alive. Indeed, wasn't the just past election supposed to become the climate change or environment election? So, to obtain an overall picture of how the economy is going, economists measure it by the ups and downs of the gross domestic product, or the GDP. This is meant to be a proxy for what we produce or do, or value in our society. The logic is that people pay dollars for what they value and or need, and conversely, what people don't pay for and hence don't seem to need is of no value, economically speaking. So economists count up the dollars that people, organizations and even governments spend on things including the work people do to make or transport or deliver these things. They add the money exchanged that way up and then say this is the total figure for what we domestically produce that is of value and is a contribution to the GDP. Now, as a figure, this is undoubtedly of interest and when the figures go into the trillions, they really do sound very impressive, don't they? They can also be easily used comparatively, comparing past years with the present, to make points about being better than the previous lot governing the economy. But we have to still ask, should the GDP be the last word on what we produce of value in our society? What about all the work that is done for no money and that makes a contribution or that sustains and makes it possible to, con to continue producing things of monetary value? What is left out of these calculations includes, for example, caring work, staying up all night to care for a sick child, cooking meals, leaving paid work to look after an elder, elderly parent, doing voluntary work to help others, tending to a community garden. It's interesting that we call the effort involved in giving birth, we call it labor, but no one would think about calling it work, let alone employment, for which one would receive a monetary income. Same for breastfeeding. The list of such free labor goes on, Jennifer reminded me of the man in her neighborhood who spends much of his time cleaning up rubbish from the streets and from the gutters. He does this without payment and rightfully takes great pride in his work. People around him certainly know he is making a contribution. Of course, we should mention all the valuable work done for no financial remuneration as 3CR, me sitting here for and talking with you, for example, and Borderlands couldn't have come about and stayed around for 20 years without a lot of unpaid work, or as we used to call it, without, volunt without volunteering or without unpaid labor. On the flip side, we can think of many things we pay for that actually cause harm to people or the environment. The easy one to start with is, of course, wars. 
I certainly do in the production of their of war material increase the GDP. Then think about the thousands of dollars people put into poker machines, and not just the addicted ones, also called problem gamblers. And therefore, those problem gamblers seemingly exonerate those who just have a spin, or those who actually can afford to lose millions on the machines. Or think about cleaning up an oil slick in the ocean. The money spent on cleaning up this oil slick would count as a positive contribution to the economy and to society as a whole in the calculation of the GDP. More prosaically, our now PM, again Morrison, living on about half a million dollars since recently, he, and he obviously is making this because he's productive and contributes to the GDP, some time ago spent his parliamentary hours on bringing a lump of coal to make a particular point. So that is productive labor, is it? As did Pauline Hansen, lesser valued, not half a million yet, but still on a reasonable amount of assumedly productive dollars in her argument against burqa wearing in public. It's probably prosaic, but after all, they are our employees. Or just a few days ago, Minister Dutton talking about the contract with the security firm taking care of asylum seekers on Manus. He said, the department will work with the PNG authorities. We've got to make sure we're getting value for money, he said. This is also the point that we have an economy. There's also a point that we have an economy in which many people just do not have the money to spend on the goods and services they need of value. Think about the people on Newstart and other Centrelink so-called benefits who cannot even afford basic things, basic things just as food, such as food, housing. How do these people figure in the GDP calculations? According to the ACOS research, to ACOS research, the Australian Council of Social Services, they have a shortfall of at least $75 per week to pay for the basics. Many of them, of course, ending up Ending, on, ending up on streets. But the costs of removing them from these streets, that does add to the GDP. Isn't that weird? Talking about housing, by the way, Joe Toscano will be holding a Steps to a Home 24 hours vigil on the steps of the Victorian Parliament to highlight the issue of homelessness and housing security on the shortest and possibly one of the coldest day of the year. You can call Joseph Toscano a 3CR presenter and convener of the public housing Everybody's Business on 0439 395 489 and after this program he will actually be coming to talk live with you from the steps of the Victorian Parliament. Survive the white man's way. 
Words out. Freedom of species has hit the airwaves. Tune in for debates and updates on both local and international animal protection news and events, and learn about how you can live a cruelty-free, sustainable lifestyle. Animales humanos. News, views and non-leather shoes. That's Freedom of Species, 1pm Sundays on 3CR. Authorised by the last few remaining kangaroos, Canberra. Welcome back to uh, Think Again on 3CR. So back to economics. Can the GDP really stand in for the good produced in our society? And I mean the good through money spent on goods and services? Even earlier economists, starting with Adam Smith, didn't propose this at all. We have somehow fetishized this measurement to indicate something which is grossly inadequate to represent. The elevation of GDP to measure how our society is going and comparing it with other societies goes along with the elevation of economics as a discipline on a global level. Somehow, economics got split off from other associated social and philosophical disciplines, for example, political economy, morality, ethics, and all of the other social sciences during the last few centuries. It is no longer to do with society as a whole, as it once was in the works of its early proponents, like Adam Smith, as I mentioned, and who is mostly mistakenly referred to as the father of capitalist economic thinking. Economics has been elevated to the height, to the height 
of legitimacy and legality as a profession, mm. providing it with considerable power in shaping our society. Just listen to how the politicians talked during and after the election. Remember, Scott Morrison and Labour candidates promised to put the economy in surplus in the near future, with only hollow figures to support their claims, and with only tenuous references to the overall health of the economy and what a healthy economy really should be about. They never really talked about the general well-being of us, the people. Another of those so easily thrown in words is economic growth. As Ross Gittens from The Age commented, after the hype of the election, the grim reality of our economy is setting in. That reality laughs at Treasurer Jost Frydenberg's claim in the April budget and Scott Morrison's claim in the election campaign to have returned the economy to strong growth, which will roll on for a decade without missing a beat. That was a quote of Ross. Ross Gittins also constantly refers to the fact that his colleague economists have been the recipients of a narrow economic theory during their studies at university. Mostly, they are reduced to becoming econometrists, schooled in certain measurement techniques and metrics without much reflection as to their deeper meaning, as used to be the case with the early political economists. Firstly, Mainstream economics as taught and practiced is based on a narrow and distorted conception of human nature. People are seen as autonomous, independent entities, entities motivated mostly, if not only, by self-interest, specifically maximizing gains and minimizing losses, leaving the invisible hand between, behind everyone's back and in the mysterious dark to create and maintain the wealth of na nation, nations, which was the title of Adam Smith's most quoted book, but usually ignored is his second book, The Theory of Moral Sentiments, which posited that human morality depends on sympathy between the individual and other members of society, and which is the necessary regulator protecting society from its own demise because of the potential destructiveness of the, com the competition based on radical self-interest. That is usually the forgotten work of Adam Smith. But the more recent developments of economic thinking in the capitalist mo mould have one-sidedly promoted the legitimacy and rightfulness of selfishness, of greed, and of acting and interacting for one's own benefit. I remember driving along the Eastern Freeway in Melbourne in massive letters suggesting to those in one of the rush hour stop and go periods, don't just sit there, ring your competitors' clients. If that is an expression of the morality and ethics of our society, we have really sunk a far away. The idea of human relating within a web of life-giving and nurturing processes, as suggested in Smith's second book, it just disappears. We all became consumers and resources that need to serve capital, rather than remaining people who are to be served by their economy. Oh yes, oh yes, careful, we could namely become leaners, as a former treasurer has warned us. Even if the com in the community and welfare fields, people are now routinely referred to as customers, consumers and clients. 
It has become the new normal, as we already pointed out last week when we talked about language. We can say that this is the result of the promotion of neoliberalism over the last few decades, but perhaps it was always embedded in capitalist concepts inherent in our economy, which, what we, which is what we have in the main. Indeed, the very word capitalism derives from the Latin word caput, or head, and it referred to the heads of cattle in the possession of pastoralists with the inherent cumulative thinking that you have to accumulate, get more of whatever it is that you have, and thinking therefore that more of those heads of cattle is always better. But I'm very sure that the early pastoralists were much wiser in the way in which they then got more of those than we indeed have become in grown capitalism. In addition, economics theory taught students present that students in uh, they present the economy as a closed and self-contained system of money flows for example wages and profits flow from business to households households buy things and send money to business businesses provide goods and services to households and households provide business with their labor and capital other circular flows of money include banks government and trade it is all self-contained there is no mention of the energy source for all of this interchange and activity on planet Earth, nor is there much thought of how unpaid labor and care sustains this whole circular business. Marx would call it reproduces this kind of system. People and how therefore there's not much being said about how people's capacity to work and to pay and to produce is actually being reproduced. And that is mostly happening by non-paid la non labor, as I said before. Get a healthy dose of anti-nuclear, peace and sustainability issues on the Radioactive Show. 10 a.m. Saturdays on 3CR Community Radio, 855 on your AM dial. And also podcast and web streamed on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. The Radioactive Show, where every bit of exposure makes you stronger. You're listening to Jargon Think Again, 3CR 855 AM, on your dial, 3CR Digital, and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. And we're talking about the economy. This model, with uh, GDP at its centre, is challenged by a growing number of individuals and groups, organisations, one of whom is Kate Raworth in her book Donut Economics. She presents, the, for some of our leaders, a radical idea that our economy, like all of the things we are and do, sits within planet Earth, exclamation mark, drawing on natural bounty and energy from the sun through various processes and mechanisms and expelling waste that is currently destroying Earth, the Earth's biosphere and causing disasters and destruction we are ill-prepared to cope with. She calls for a broader goal and a vision for the economy that takes into account the well-being of people and the natural world we are bounded by. Others would call it happiness. 
This certainly makes more sense than just adding up the dollars that are spent, irrespective of what they spent for or at. This is about the real world. Kate Raworth suggests that we change the goal to meeting the human rights of every person within the means of our life-giving planet. As Scott Morrison would say, how good is that? Let us reclaim that rhetorical question from him rather than use, misuse it for rather destructive policies. Meanwhile, indeed, our politicians argue about the financial cost of dealing with climate change. Leading up to the federal election, Scott Morrison constantly challenged Bill Shorten to reveal the cost of his pro promise to reduce emissions by 45% by 2030. This was wrong in so many ways. Again, Ross Gittens pointed out in The Age that economic modelling is mostly a lot of hocus-pocus based on whatever assumptions it suits you to make. Numbers do not make science, but numbers can make a lot of pseudoscience, which we all seem to have become dazzled or intimidated by. And lo and behold, Ross Gittens again hit the jackpot a few days ago. In Wednesday age, Wednesday's Age, he reported about New Zealand, and I'm quoting, believing that there is more to well-being than just money. Just a little taste of what he, say, he and the New Zealanders obviously have been saying. But is Ivar, Australia's aspirations to happiness revolve around more money in general and less tax in particular, our cousins across the ditch aspire to a radically different brand of happiness. According to their finance minister in, this, in his budget speech, New Zealanders were asking if we have declared success because we have a relatively high rate of GDP growth, why are the things that we value going backwards, like child well-being, a warm, dry home for all, mental health services, or rivers and lakes we can swim in? The answer to that question was that the things New Zealanders valued were not being sufficiently valued by the government. That comes out of a budget speech, hey? Are you salivating, dear, dear listeners? It gets better. GDP has been replaced in New Zealand by Treasury's Living Standards Framework, based on four sources of capital. Natural capital, that means everything which nature brings, human capital, social capital, that's our relational cap capital and human-made capital. That's the things we make. And Gittens cheekily concludes, tongue-in-cheek, according to St. Jacinda of Ardern, the well-being budget shows you can be both economically responsible and kind. So those uppity Kiwis think that, can, that they can walk and chew gum at the same time. Fortunately, we Aussies know not to even try. <sighs> compares rather well all of this New Zealand stuff with Kate Roward's economic model that offers a broad and important critique of the existing model. Just picture, picture the, a donut. Within the donut shape, shape itself resides a safe and just space for humanity. On the outside rim of that donut is the ecological ceiling. We cannot go outside this ceiling and survive. Hence the bumper, the bumper sticker, no economy on a dead planet. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.